All right. Well, uh, so yesterday, um, the youth group, we had a chance to join another, uh, another church from up in Brown City. We went out and we uh, had some fun paintballing yesterday. Uh, so if you catch me leaning on the, the pulpit a little bit, it's not because I'm sore from getting shot a couple times. It's mostly because my legs are pretty sore from running around in the woods, up and down the hills, sliding around. Can't handle that as much as I used to. So uh, that's what we're dealing with today. Uh, but I'm excited to be able to share with you this morning. Um, uh, Pastor John was talking to me uh, a couple weeks ago, asking if I wanted to do uh, either today or next week. We ended up settling on today. Um, so I don't know if anybody wants to keep an eye on him over there. He's not used to sitting down during this part of the serv- service. If he happens to fall asleep, just give him a nudge. Uh, wake him back up so he's not used to sitting out there. All right. So, uh, but today what we're going to talk about um, is something that I think is really important for us as Christians when it comes to sharing our faith. Uh, this, this year in the youth group, we really want to put a focus on uh, sharing and spreading the gospel. And uh, I've actually had the opportunity over the last uh, month and a half or so to get to know uh, a couple different youth leaders from uh, not just around the area, but there's, there's a couple people from around the country and some, some leaders through Word of Life uh, just to, uh, to kind of get together every other week or so uh, through Zoom video calls and just kind of talking about how we can make our, our youth ministries gospel advancing youth ministries. And so that's been really cool, really awesome for me to be able to be a part of, uh, being able to talk with them, share with them, kind of hear how they're doing things. Um, and it's been really encouraging. And, you know, one of the things that we kind of talk about is, well, what are obstacles specifically for teenagers when it comes to sharing the gospel with people in their lives, whether it be people in school, family members, whoever that might be. Uh, and, you know, a bunch of different things come back that, they, you know, a lot of times they just say they don't know what to say. Uh, they don't know uh, what verses to use. Um, sometimes they're afraid of losing a friendship. Right, because maybe they'll be rejected, or really they're going to reject the gospel. It's important to remember that when we share the gospel with somebody and they reject it, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting the gospel. They're rejecting God. Um, but uh, for for younger people, and even maybe for some of us, we don't want to risk losing a friendship. Maybe we think that that person's not going to want to be our friend anymore um, because we share the gospel with them. And so that's one of the things. But um, I think there's some other things that maybe we do that kind of hinders us from sharing the gospel and from effectively being able to spread the gospel uh, to the people around us. And uh, there's some things that uh, I'm going to call them Christian sins. Okay, that might sound a little bit weird. Uh, But, you know, being in the church or being around other Christian people, uh, there's a lot of times where, you know, it's really easy for us to condemn certain sins, right? It's really easy for us to condemn really any sin um, unless maybe it's a sin that we are struggling with and maybe we're even in the process of, of, of committing because we don't like to point out our own faults, right? It's really easy to condemn other people's sins. Um, but as we go through throughout this morning, we're going to look at three different, like I said, what I call Christian sins, um, things that I think are kind of becoming or really have been trends um, in the church, in the, the Christian faith. And really what they are is 
they're us trying to we think we're being good Christians when we're doing these things. Um, or maybe we don't realize that we're even doing these things, but really what it's doing is it's going to hinder our, our witness to people because when people look at us, they're not going to see the best possible representation that we could be giving of the gospel. So if you want to go ahead and turn to uh, Luke chapter uh, 17 or 18, I'm sorry, that's where we're going to open up this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 18. We are going to jump around uh, between a couple different passages, but this is where we're going to start out this morning. Um, so the first uh, Christian sin that I'm, we're going to talk about today is self-righteousness. Okay, self-righteousness. Um, and as we go throughout the morning, hopefully you'll get a better understanding of what I mean about these Christian sins. Um, because um, really, like I said, we might not even think of them as sins. Sometimes we might not think when we're doing these things that we're sinning. Uh, but hopefully we'll get a better understanding as we go throughout the morning. So Luke chapter 18 And uh, right now we're going to read verses 9 through 14. So Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other, other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as the publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess, and the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted." All right, so here we have an example of two different people praying, right? And the first guy, he's making a big ordeal about it. Uh, and you've probably, maybe you've seen people like this, uh, maybe in some kind of small group setting, some Bible study, or wherever it might be, you've seen somebody like this where they, they start praying, and it sounds like they're praying straight out of the King James Bible, right? Lots of these and thous and and you know, the words that you've never heard them say in any other kind of conversation, except for when they're praying. And, you know, they go on and on and on. And it sounds more so that they're praying to the people around them, right? Putting on a show for them than they are praying to God. Uh, and so that's the first guy. The second guy, he's really just kind of looking inwardly and he's, he's viewing this as a legitimate conversation between him and God. He's taking this as a personal time between him and God. It's all just with him, there's nobody else there as, as an audience to him. That's not how he sees it. He's understanding what, what the reality of this is. Okay, but as you look at the first guy, he's talking about all these great things that I've done, right? He says, first of all, I'm not like these other guys. I'm not like the extortioners. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. And I'm not even like the publican. He's talking about the other guy that's there praying. All right, so he's even comparing himself to the other guy, to God. Right. He's saying, God, I'm, I'm not like that guy. I'm doing all these great things. I'm not falling into the horrible things. I fast twice a week. And so he's really not even just trying to do it for himself by comparing him to the other guy. He's comparing himself to the other guy to God. OK, so it's, it's pretty bold what he's doing here. Um, <clears throat> and then the other guy, again, it's just him and God. There's nothing that he's focusing on, focusing on other than him and God. So again, we all know that we all know what self-righteousness is on the surface, right? But we may be guilty of it without realizing it. It's important to understand how this may look in our daily lives. So first of all, uh, we struggle bragging. We struggle with bragging and comparing ourselves to others, 
That's what the first guy was doing, wasn't he? He was saying all the great things he's done. I give tithes of all that I possess. I, I, I fast twice a week, you know, bragging and then comparing ourselves to other people. Now, when we do this, maybe we don't do it just like he was. Maybe we don't get up in front of people and, you know, take some time to pray. And in our prayer, we're, we're comparing ourselves to other people and bragging about everything that we do. I think a lot of times this actually happens just in our own minds. Like, we're not, we're not quite bold enough to even say to somebody else one-on-one, hey, look, you see how they're doing? I'm clearly doing much better than they are. No, more, more often than not, we're doing this in our own minds. And I think what it, the, the base of it is, is we're trying to convince ourselves that we're doing all right. It's, we're always going to try and find somebody that we're doing better than. You know, I always, you, you hear about, well, what if you're in, in the... Uh, caught in the woods and you run into a bear. There's a group, you're with a group of people and there's a bear. You don't have to be the fastest person. You just have to not be the slowest person, right? You know, we look at other people, whether it's people in church, people in our lives. Well, I'm not as bad as that person. I'm not the slowest person in the group. So I'm doing okay. Um, again, I think that's a lot of times what we do just in our own heads. Uh, but the fact is that's still self-righteousness. Even though it's not broadcasted to anybody else, uh, we're still justifying ourselves. We also struggle with hypocrisy and anger. We might expect fellow Christians or even non-believers to standards that we don't even hold ourselves to. And that, this is something that uh, I would also say if, you, if you're sharing the gospel with people, whether it's coworkers or whoever, um, even, you know, the teenagers, this is something that they would deal with in school. Because, uh, you know, young people, teenagers, they're a lot smarter than you might think to where they might even be able to recognize a lot of the hypocrisy among the church, among Christians. And so hypocrisy is probably one of the things that we struggle with the most when it comes to sharing the gospel with those around us. We want to share the things uh, that, that we know that we're supposed to share. We're supposed to take the gospel to everybody around us. Um, and then they come back with, well, you know, I, I grew up in church. There's so much hypocrisy in the church. Or maybe they even point out the hypocrisy in our own lives. So a lot of times, like I said, we expect fellow Christians or even non-believers to standards that we don't even hold ourselves to. The fact of the matter is, regardless of our own standards, we're going to be judged by God's standard. And God's standard is perfection. Um, and that's why the gospel is so important, because we know that we cannot obtain that standard of God's perfection on our own. There's absolutely nothing that we can do in order to do that. And so uh, with that in mind, let's go ahead and turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 4 once we get there. Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses uh, 4 through 9 here. Paul says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, Persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, 
but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So first of all, we understood that we need to recognize our own self-righteousness because sometimes we might not even realize that that's what we're doing. But now, once we recognize it, how do we get rid of that self-righteousness? Well, if we look here, we see in verse 4, we start out with, and even down in verses 7 and 8, we have the idea of really we need to stop putting confidence in our spiritual performance. Stop putting confidence in our spiritual performance. Anything that we might do to bring attention to ourselves. That's what I mean by spiritual performance. So all these great things that we can do. Remember, think back to the the first guy who was praying. He was talking about these great things that he did, right? He was talking about how he he fasted twice a week. He tied from his possessions. Those are good things to do. But as he was doing it, he wanted to brag about how he was doing it. And so we can be serving in a ministry. We could be trying to, uh, you know, have the best, most spiritual posts on Facebook, but if we're doing it just to, so that other people can look at us and say, wow, he's, you know, he looks like to be a great follower of God. She seems to be a great Christian. Then we're doing it for the entirely wrong reason. We're, we're putting confidence in our spiritual performance, thinking that that's going to make us a better Christian, which what is a better Christian, right? God doesn't rank us. It's not like we're going to get to heaven. There's going to be like four-star Christians, five-star Christians, uh, has anybody ever noticed? I actually mentioned this to uh, Pastor John one time. He never noticed before. But has anybody ever eaten at Cracker Barrel? All right. Have you noticed on their aprons when they ha- like they have the stars like embroidered on their aprons? Um, first time I saw it, I didn't realize what it was. But then I realized like I don't know if it's how long they've been there. They've had better service, but they get like more stars, like up to like five stars or something. So if you go to a Cracker Barrel, you get like a five-star waitress. You're in for it, right? You're, you're in for a good experience. So you better be ready to leave a big tip because you're getting the best of the best. But that's not how heaven's going to be. We're not going to go to heaven. We're not going to have uh, these different stars assigned to us for being a better Christian. That's just something that we've done for ourselves, saying, well, I'm a better Christian than that person because I do all these things. I serve in all these different ministries. We're putting confidence in our uh, spiritual performance. Uh, another Another way that we need to or how we need to stop putting or getting rid of our self-righteousness. We need to count our self-righteous gains as lost, as Paul did. Verse 7 eight. read that real quick again. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. We actually had a chance to talk about this verse Wednesday night. Uh, in youth group. And I asked them, I said, what does the word dung mean? Nobody wanted to say anything. Nobody wanted to say the word poop. All right. And so finally somebody did. I was like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Okay. That's what Paul's saying. Every, all his self-righteous gains, all the things that he's done, the great things that we would look and say, yeah, Paul's done all these good things. He says, all of them are as dung. That's not what makes him righteous. What makes him righteous is the, the finished work of the cross that he's accepted, that he's living out. When God looks at him, the righteousness that he sees is the righteousness of Christ. So no, no matter how good we think we are, it's just not good enough. We just talked about we're going to be judged and measured by God's standard, not our own. So no matter how good we think we are, no matter what we think we've done, it's just not going to be good enough. And finally, we need to receive the gift of Christ's righteousness. Turn with me real quick over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and this is probably a familiar passage for a lot of people, but we're going to turn there anyway. Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, verses 8 and 9. 
says, therefore, by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is the only way that we're able to get righteousness. It's not by anything that we do. There's nothing that we can do and boast about. These are all the great things that I've done. We're only saved through faith. And this is the only righteousness that matters. Again, we can do all these great things, and to the world it's going to look great. People who are non-believers, they can do good things. There's plenty of charities, plenty of people who started charities, who have never even been to church before, know nothing about the gospel, and they do a lot of great things for a lot of, a lot of people in need. But that's not going to get them anywhere, right? That's just going to make them look good to other people. And they might even not be doing it for their own attention. They might legitimately wanting to be helping other people. Uh, but again, that's not the kind of righteousness that God looks at because even if they're doing all those great things, they still have sin in their life one way or another. Um, and so that righteousness is not going to be good enough for God. That's just our self-righteousness, the way that the world looks. They see that's a righteous person, but that's not the righteousness that matters. So as we think back over the idea of self-righteousness, um, it's important to, that we're able to recognize it. Sometimes we don't even realize that we're doing it. You know, maybe we're just kind of looking and, you know, maybe if we're part of a small group or part of a Bible study and you get there and it's like, okay, who was able to, you know, answer the questions for the week? And you're like, well, I didn't, I didn't answer all my questions. I only got a couple of them. And you look over and you see somebody else didn't answer any of them. You're like, okay, I'm good. Right. You know, we're, 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 we're just kind of making sure that again, we're not the bottom of the, the pole, right? We're, we're not at the bottom. Um, we need to kind of find really any area that this kind of idea of self-righteousness is possibly creeping into our lives. Um, so it's important that we're able to recognize it. And then understanding this passage in Philippians that we just looked at, uh, where Paul is talking about how everything that he's done, the good things really is just counted as done. It's not going to get him into heaven. No matter what he does, he can't get himself into heaven. And he should know, he knows the law just as well as anybody, right? He even talked about how he knew the law. He was zealous about the law to the point where he would even persecute Christians. Uh, and he, so he understands the law extremely well, better than most. Uh, but he even understands, once he understood the idea of the gospel, he knew that even fulfilling the law to the best of his ability wasn't going to be good enough. So with this idea of law in mind, I want to move to our second uh, Christian sin. And this is one that um, uh, we've all probably maybe either experienced or we've heard of before. All right. So we're, we're going to talk about the idea of legalism. Okay. Now, I uh, don't want to like go too far into the idea of, of really what this is, but really just to kind of summarize, we, we kind of understand that this is just putting a bunch of extra rules on being a follower of Christ or being a part of the church. Okay. Uh, for this, we're going to turn to Galatians chapter five. So if you want to turn there real quick, we're going to read in just a second, Galatians chapter five. Um, now when Paul addresses this topic here in this passage, um, we're going to see here in a second that he refers to it as a bondage. Now, why might Paul refer to this as a bondage? Well, it's because uh, he understood that when we accept the righteousness that we receive through Christ and nothing else, we are free from the weight of the fact that we cannot obtain righteousness on our own. So if we go back and we're trying to obtain righteousness on our own, that's a huge burden on ourselves because we're constantly trying to think of, of how, how am I going to make this right again? How am I going to fix this? Right? The Catholics, they have, they have confession that they have to go to. They have to go and, 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 and speak their confessions to a priest. Um, and to me, that seems like really burdensome. It seems like a lot of pressure on yourself, 
constantly, you know, really stressful, constantly trying to think of, okay, I got to make sure that I uh, repent of this sin. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't recognize our sin, you know, as Christians, right? We should still recognize our sin when we sin, even though we know God, Jesus is already forgiven. What Jesus did on the cross has covered all of our sins, past, present, and future. But when we acknowledge our sin, when we commit a sin, we're saying to God, God, I know what I did was wrong. Again, we don't need to inform him. He knows what we did. But it's us acknowledging, God, I know what I did was wrong. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you for uh, teaching me and allowing me to grow through this and for continuing to love me in spite of my sin. So the idea of Paul, Paul refers to it as a bondage because he knows that if you're always trying to be focused on that, it's such a weight on you. It's such a, a pressure on you. Um, also, this was something that Peter, he also had to realize as he took the gospel to the Gentiles. Right, Because Peter was raised as, as a good Jewish boy. He knew all the laws. He knew everything that he was supposed to do, everything that he was supposed to keep. But before he was able to go take the, the gospel to the Gentiles, he had to understand. And God made sure that he understood, listen, these things that are your Jewish traditions, there's nothing wrong with them as your Jewish traditions. But don't force them on the Gentiles because that's not their traditions. Make sure that the gospel is just the gospel. You're not adding your other traditions to that, to them. You can continue to keep your traditions. You can continue to do that, but don't uh, force it on other people. Also, we need to recognize that we are robbing ourselves of the freedom that we have through Christ if we fall into the idea of legalism. Again, just talking about the the bondage that Paul refers to, we're going to read here in a second. Um, But what might this look like? What might it look like when we are robbing ourselves or when we're adding to the gospel? Really, again, it's just that when we turn our preferences or our traditions, whatever you want to call it, when we turn those things into prerequisites for the gospel. So let's go ahead and look at Galatians chapter 5, and let's read the first four verses there. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. So there's a lot going on right there. Paul, he's, he's pretty much laying it all on the line. He's being pretty straightforward. He's not holding anything back. Um, but really, I want to pull three different warnings out of this passage that Paul is giving. So the first warning uh, we see in the first two verses, if we add any of our effort to faith in Jesus, we lose spiritual advantage Christ gives us. So if we add any of our effort, the things that we do, the, the, the physical things, the, the things that everybody else sees, any of our effort to, the faith, to our faith in Jesus, first of all, we see that we lose spiritual advantage. Now, that's not to say that we don't put forth effort as a follower of Christ, but if I'm saying that the effort that I do is part of being a Christian, it's part of what makes me a Christian, the things that I do is, is what helps get me my salvation, that's what we're talking when, when I say we, if we add our effort to faith in Jesus, then we lose spiritual advantage. Let's read verses 1 and 2 again. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath free, made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That's that that yoke of bondage we were talking about, of constantly having to try and keep up with the law. Um, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. So he's saying there that we're not going to gain anything through Christ if if we're saying that, you know, I have to be also circumcised as well. I also have to be following the, the, the law as well. 
right? So if I'm, also, if I'm throwing in the fact that I have to keep the law and put my faith in Jesus to have my salvation, I'm not really going to understand or really have full advantage of, of that spiritual advantage that we have in Christ. I'm not going to have a full understanding of that because I'm still under that weight of that bondage of having to, to always keep on, 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 on top of every single law. So a second warning that we see is in verse 3. If we, had, if we add any of our effort to faith in Jesus, we also put ourselves into spiritual debt to God. Verse 3 says, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. You can't just pick and choose which part of the law you want to follow. If you're going to say that you're going to be under the law, then you're under the whole law. And really, we are under the whole law. And because of the fact that we can't fulfill the whole law, that's why we need Jesus as our Savior. And so, we, again, we can't pick and choose what part of the law. You know, he's saying here, every man that is circumcised, that is a debtor to the whole law. So regardless of what we do, all the great things we do, we're still in debt to God. So, again, if we add any, of, any effort to faith in Jesus, we also put ourselves into spiritual debt to God. And then the third warning I want to pull from here uh, is in verse 4. Uh, if we add any of our own efforts to faith in Jesus, we fall from God's grace. Verse 4 says, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Because why? If, if you're justified by the law, meaning that you've kept the entire law, which we know none of us have, but if you're justified by the law, you're able to do it, you don't, like, there's no need for that grace, right? We don't, God doesn't need to show us grace, but we know that we can't fulfill the whole law. And so that's, that's the third warning. If we add any of it, we fall from grace or from God's grace. So as we kind of think about that, I want us to think of maybe what are some ways that maybe the idea of adding things into the gospel might be creeping into our own lives. Now, um, I would say I, I, I don't know. I have not really seen any evidence of anybody, you know, in our church. Our church is really great about just preaching the gospel, right, and sharing the gospel and making that the number one focus and the number one priority. Um, but maybe we can see sometimes uh, if you maybe grew up in a more legalistic kind of church or you were kind of raised more that way, uh, maybe sometimes it kind of creeps into the way that you share the gospel without even knowing it. Or maybe, you know, you've, you've all probably heard the example of you see somebody coming to church that isn't dressed for church, right? But what does that mean? What is dressed for church? I don't I don't read anywhere in the Bible, and historical accuracy doesn't say anything about Jesus wearing a three-piece suit, right? That just wasn't even a thing back then. So why is it that now, you know, the, the suit that we have now, that's what's important? That's not to say that you, you can't wear a suit or that you don't have to wear a suit. Like, if you dress how you want to dress, right? Dress modestly. But uh, that's one of those things where it's great if you want to do that. That's going back to the idea of preference versus prerequisite. It's great to have that as your preference, but don't make that a prerequisite for the gospel. Okay? Uh, now, I could make a joke about how Pastor John is wearing a T-shirt. I told him this morning, I said, boy, when you take the day off, you really take it off, huh? <laughs> Surprised he didn't show up in sweats. But, no. Uh, but th that's the whole point, right? There's nothing wrong with him wearing a T-shirt if he wants. Uh, but it's, it's important to understand that we don't add that to the gospel. Okay. Now you can think, you can set your own standard of this is how I want to dress when I go to church. Okay. I, I don't, you know, this is just a standard I set for myself. That's great. That's great. That's fine. Don't put that on other people. Okay. Um, so maybe we need to kind of take a look and find or ask just God, God revealed to me if there's any way in my life that I'm kind of maybe adding things to the gospel 
whether it's when I'm sharing the gospel to people or it's the standards that I'm holding other people to. Um, so I like for myself, even I, uh, as I was going through and, and studying for all the, for, for this sermon, um, there were a few wake up calls in really all of these points of trying to think of, uh, well, what are some areas in my life that maybe these are kind of slipping in? So that's the second Christian sin that we're going to talk about. And the final one that we're going to talk about um, is one that I think is actually really kind of growing in the church. Um, not this church, but it's really kind of growing in, in the Christian faith. Um, and that's just because of the world that we live in today. And that would be uh, the idea of license. Okay, so we wanted, last we just talked about wanting to be free from legalism. Let's talk about being free from license. Okay, this is a different kind of warning, pretty much kind of the opposite. Of, of legalism. So go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 6, and we'll get started there. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and let's read the first two verses there. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And I'm going to turn real quick. If you want to turn, you can turn with me. I'm going to turn there uh, to Galatians chapter 5. And I'm just read one verse there. Galatians 5.13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So here, uh, Paul's kind of talking about uh, the idea of using the fact that we've received grace from God as a reason or as a, a license to sin, really. And this is something that, like I said before, that I think is really kind of growing in the church where we emphasize grace so much that we really kind of say, well, it's okay to let these other things slide. Now, it's important to remember that God's grace is very real. But sometimes if we use it as a license to sin, um, even though like we, we use it as a license to sin because we know that we're forgiven. So it's important to understand that God's grace definitely is very real and, and great. And uh, it's really what allows us to be able to have that relationship with God. Um, but we can't use it just because we know that we're forgiven. Like we said before, all, all of our sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. That doesn't mean that we can be like, well, I can go do this because it's already forgiven. Um, let's not forget what grace is. What's the definition of grace? Unmerited favor means I haven't earned it. There's nothing I did to obtain this, uh, this favor from God. There's nothing that I could do to obtain it or to earn it. Uh, so this means that we don't deserve it. So what gives us the right to use it as a reason to do things that we know we shouldn't do anyway? If I know that I can't earn this, his grace, it's something that I'm completely unmerited, uh, then there's no reason that I should be able to use it as a license to sin. Uh, th like I said, this is becoming really prevalent as well in the idea of evangelism and discipleship in the church. Uh, maybe we soften the gospel a little bit when we're sharing it with people because, again, like we said before, we're afraid of that rejection of a friend or coworker or even a, a random stranger. So we kind of maybe soften the blow and say, well, you know, God's grace is so great that, you know, yes, God's grace covers all of our sins, but that doesn't a lot like we need to live a changed life once we accept Christ as our Savior. It's important to remember, like, like I said, we don't want to soften the blow of the gospel. The gospel is going to be offensive. Christ said that because you're a follower of me, you're going to face persecution. The gospel offends people because the truth offends people. 
You know, a lot of times you hear things today, you hear the phrase, my truth. Well, that's my truth. That, that, that might be your truth, but that's not my truth. That drives me crazy. Like the, the definition of truth is pretty straightforward. Truth is truth. You, you know, one, you could say, I think the sky is blue. And I could say, well, that's your truth. That's not my truth. It doesn't change the fact that the sky is blue, right? Truth is truth. So, and the, the idea of truth is also exclusive, Right. If the sky is, is blue and that's true, it's, it's exclusive to just the color blue. The sky is not different colors. So it's, 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 the truth is exclusive. So the truth is going to hurt people, especially the truth of the gospel, because they're hearing that they're wrong. They're sinners, that they don't meet God's standard. People don't like that. Well, I don't want to believe in a God like that. And this is actually kind of a, a, a conversation that we had in the office last week, which uh, so on Mondays, for those of you who don't know, uh, Monday mornings, myself, Pastor John, and Kelsey, we have like a time of prayer, and it is also kind of like a, a little meeting of talk, talking about events coming up and planning. Um, and very often, pretty much every time, there's quite a few rabbit trails, and we end up going on for quite a while, and it's hard to even remember how we got to where we are with this conversation, right? But this is kind of one of the conversations we were having. Somehow it, it got to the point of talking about, well, I don't want to believe in a God like that. That's fine if you don't want to believe in a God like that. That doesn't change the fact that this is how God is, okay? God does not like sin. God has this standard for us to live up to. And if we can't live up to it, then the punishment is death, eternal death. If you want to believe in that or don't want to believe in that, that doesn't change the fact that that's the truth. And so <clears throat> that's going to offend some people. So there's no reason for us to, to soften the blow of the gospel when we're evangelizing the people, um, to overemphasize the grace and be like, yeah, you can accept Jesus as your Savior and you continue to do whatever you want because your sins were forgiven. But the idea of, you know, this license also is kind of creeping into discipleship because we don't teach the people what God wants us to teach them after we save them. We say, yeah, it's fine to continue in your sin again because you're, you're forgiven. All your sin is forgiven. And so what's happening is we can say, yeah, sure, we're fulfilling the Great Commission because I'm sharing and spreading the gospel. Well, this person might have legitimately accepted Christ, but we're also called to make disciples, right? We're called to share the gospel and to make disciples. And so it's important to realize when we're, we're sharing the gospel and we're, we're making disciples of people that we're not, you know, just pushing aside, you know, continued sin. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, yes, our sin is forgiven, but we need to live a changed life for him. We need to be glorifying him in everything that we do. <clears throat> now, if we live however we want, because we just say, I'm forgiven, then those who aren't believers will not see any need for salvation because they think God will show them grace. If I'm constantly saying, you need to get saved, you need to get saved, you need to get saved, but they see that my, I'm doing the exact same things that they're always doing. Say it's a coworker, and we're always going to the same you know, parties on the weekend or always doing the same things uh, after work, whatever it might be. They look at me, and they, I say I'm a Christian, and they look at themselves. Well, I'm not a Christian. We're doing all the same things. Why do I need to be a Christian? Why do I need to accept Jesus? You're doing all the same things and you say you're going to heaven. So why do I, God's just going to show me grace, whether I accept him or not, because God loves me. So he's going to show me that grace. <clears throat> so if we're continuing to live just how we want to live and just say it's okay because, well, I'm forgiven, they're not really going to see any need uh, for the gospel. 
So those are really the three uh, Christian sins that I, I kind of wanted us to kind of look at and maybe look at our own lives and try and figure out and ask God to show God, are these things kind of creeping into my life, um, whether it's in my daily Christian walk, how I view other people, or when I'm sharing the gospel, or when I'm discipling people, however it might be. Um, I think it's important for us to kind of take a step back and look at our own lives, our own hearts, and see if these are things that are kind of creeping their way in. If any of these three things that we talked about this morning were uncomfortable for us, then they're probably present in some form in our lives. Um, Like I said earlier, even as I was preparing for this, there was a couple of wake-up calls for me um, where I was writing this down and uh, and kind of thinking about my own life and maybe some examples of where this might be showing where I didn't even realize it. It's just like what I was talking about before. Sometimes we hold um, other people, whether it's believers or non-believers, to standards that we don't even keep for ourselves. So when I'm saying this, I'm not saying you have to do this. You guys are all wrong. Like I'm saying this was for me as well. God shared this with me as well. Um, <clears throat> so uh, as we kind of go into the next part of the service, as we go into our invitation, I want you guys to kind of think about and ask God, even start asking God today throughout this week uh, to kind of reveal to you, show to you uh, any areas in your life where any of these three things might be showing or starting to creep in, whether it be self-righteousness um, which I would think that probably all of us at one point or another um, probably do deal with or are, are guilty of because nobody, whether you understand the gospel and know it or not, nobody likes to admit that they're wrong. And so a lot of times we like to almost use self-righteousness as a way to uh, give ourselves an excuse of to, to convince ourselves that we're doing okay. So whether it's self-righteousness, the idea of legalism, adding things to the gospel when we're sharing it with people, um, or when we look at fellow Christians, or even the idea of license of just saying, well, it's okay to do whatever you want because God has God gives us his grace. God does want to give us his grace. He wants to show us his grace. Uh, but that comes through the gift of salvation and understanding what salvation is. Christ died on a cross for us, for our sins. He took on the punishment that we deserve for our sins. And so when we're just using, you know, grace as a license to sin, think about what our attitude is toward what he did on the cross for us, the suffering that he went through. If we really understand what he went through and we really uh, take that to heart, I think it would be really difficult for us to, to just blatantly and kind of haphazardly use his grace as a license to sin. So I just want us to all kind of take a, a, uh, take a step back, just ask God to, to work on our hearts, reveal to us today, uh, throughout this week, uh, just uh, help us figure out if, if maybe we're doing any of these things, guilty of any of these things, uh, so that we can address them, that he can help grow us in that area, and so that we can be the best possible witness for him that we can be. So let's go ahead and pray right now, and then we're going to go into a time of invitation. Dear God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for uh, just allowing us to be able to be here, uh, to worship you together, to go into your word, God. And I just pray uh, that as we leave here, as we go into this time of invitation, that you would uh, just be able to speak to us, that we would uh, be able to humble ourselves and look at our own lives and try and find any way that uh, one of these three sins that we talked about is, is showing in our lives, God, that we can address that with you. We know that you've, you, you've already forgiven us of our sins, uh, God, but I just pray that we would um, be able to grow through this, that we would be able to um, go out and share the gospel the best way that we possibly can, that when people look at us, uh, they don't see hypocrites. They see people that are living out what we're, what we're preaching and what we're sharing, God. So I just pray that as we go throughout this morning, that as uh, we continue to lift you up in worship, as we go throughout our day, 
um, that we would put you first in everything that we do, everything that we say, God, uh, that we can um, understand and maybe even remind ourselves about what the gospel is, what the story of the gospel is, that we can um, really just understand and come back to the idea of that it, it is your love for us and that we would just continue to uh, be thankful for that love and want to share that love with other people. So, God, I pray that you be with us throughout this morning. For everything in Jesus' name, amen.